thankful for that peace today? Amen. Amen. Let, me, let me get turned on here. It's made in China. I should figure it out. All right, it's great to be back with you again. It's been quite a while since we've been here, and uh, it's always a privilege and and uh, great to told your pastor, it's good when you come back to a church you hadn't been to in a while and you still see familiar faces. And uh, so I'm glad you're here today. For some of you who may be new and uh, you're not familiar with our ministry, of course, I, I didn't notice the prayer letters on the back wall as I come in, or the front wall, I should say. And uh, so I encourage you to go by, read the, the mission letters. That way you can keep up with, with what's going on with the folks you help support and so I won't go into a lot of detail about what we do, uh, only that you'll continue to pray for our work uh, in China right now. Uh, that, in saying that, that means your pastor is one of, one of two things. Uh, either he's a very foolish man or uh, he's a very uh, uh, faithful man. <laughs> uh, you choose. Now, I would think we'd choose faithful. You say, why would you say foolish? Well, who else would invite during the midst of a pandemic, a missionary from China to come, right? <laughs> you know, I thought about putting a bubble around me and coming, going, clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. And uh, so, yeah, last year during, you know, everybody dealing with uh, COVID, and someone asked me, said, well, how, how was COVID for you? And I said, well, what do you think? My prayer card says China on it. <laughs> so, you know, they're not knocking my door down. Uh, but uh, I haven't been to China since right before COVID hit, and we can't get back in the country right now. Uh, technically, it's closed. Now, I said technically. Uh, they tell you, I've told some other folks, you, you can get into China. Let me tell you how you can get into China as an American. Number one, the flights right now, they're very limited, but if you were to purchase a ticket, you can fly into Beijing or you can fly into Shanghai, and that ticket will cost you somewhere between fifteen dollars to $18,000. Okay, so there's strike one. And then uh, when you get to Shanghai, uh, then you have to do a mandatory 21-day quarantine of the hotel of their choosing, not yours. <laughs> and uh, that can be very expensive. And then if you leave Shanghai, which I would have to do, I, I, I don't do any work in Shanghai. Most of our work is mostly in the southern part of China. So when you leave Shanghai and you go to another city, guess what? They greet you and say, guess what? You've got to do another 21 days quarantine. It's because you move from one city to the other. And then that 21 days, when you finish that, if you went through all of that, uh, and you start to leave, it's not unusual for them to say, oh, well, we changed the rules, now it's 60 days. Okay. In other words, they don't want you to come. And uh, if you get there, it might be difficult for you to get out. The State Department right now has a travel warning for China, but, uh, but God's in control of that. I'm not, and so we're trusting the Lord. Uh, we have scriptures stored both in Hong Kong, and we have scriptures stored in three different safe houses inside China. Uh, some of you know, if you've kept up with our work, um, for years, probably 12, 13 years, we based out of Hong Kong and we worked into mainland China. We had to stop doing that about four years ago. And uh, the Chinese pretty much closed the border working between China and Hong Kong. And so instead of quitting, I tell people, we quit smuggling scriptures into China and we started smuggling scriptures through China. We set up an underground print shop inside China. And uh, it was operated in the basement of an underground church. So we had 
in the basement, we had an underground printing, right? And uh, our Chinese uh, uh, pastor and their, their congregation facilitated the printing of those scriptures. And many of them were uh, actually Korean scriptures that were smuggled into North Korea. And so for the last three years, we've been pretty involved in getting scriptures into North Korea. And we've done that by three ways, real quick. You say, how do you do that? Well, I won't go into all the details, but uh, I think every church should have these ministries. We developed, uh, we developed a drone ministry. You have one of those, right? <laughs> we had a drone ministry where we dropped scriptures from China into North Korea in the middle of the night through courtesy of drones, and that was exciting. And then we, had a, uh, we have a water bottle ministry. Everyone should have that. So what's that? Well, we a river that separates China from North Korea. They take tours up and down the river to show you things. There's nothing to see, but you go up and down the river. And, and so we would take the tour and fill our backpacks with water bottles, and we'd put scriptures in the water bottles. And so you get to the end, they make a big turn, and they're saying, look over here, this beautiful whatever it was. And all there's about 30 people on the boat, and all the Chinese are oohing and on or whatever they were looking at. And while they're oohing and on, we're emptying our backpacks in the water in the wake, and, <laughs> and they would wash up on the North Korean side. And, and then uh, so we have a water bottle ministry, and then we have a helium balloon ministry. We operate that through South Korea. And uh, we go up on the DMZ zone in the middle of the night. We use helium balloons. And when the wind's blowing just right into North Korea, uh, we release balloons and get scriptures into North Korea. So, well, how, how, how does that work? See, that sounds pretty random. Well, I could tell you stories about North Koreans that escaped and got into South Korea and gave testimony of how they found scriptures in the field, how they found scriptures on the, on the banks of the, of the river. And, uh, and how they got saved. And there's underground churches even today in North Korea. As, as dark as that place may be, it is probably the most persecuted country in all the world, in North Korea. Let me tell you something. And these other missionaries will testify to this. There's no place so dark that the light of the gospel can't shine in. Uh, you may have to be creative at times and We've been created, and we've been shut down, we've been caught, we've been stopped, and I've been fined, and I've, I've gone through all those things, and, and even some of our Chinese have, have uh, suffered persecution and imprisonments. And, and through all of that, though, the light of the gospel can still shine through. Amen. And so that's what this day is about, just kind of remind all of us. I love Mission Sundays. I think it's the most important Sunday we have. So Easter Sunday, well, that's great. We celebrate the resurrection. Well, I think we should do that every Sunday, right? But I, I love Mission Sundays, and I'm thankful uh, that your pastor would do this and, and have this. I appreciate the McGregors let us stay at their place. As a missionary or any, well, maybe I shouldn't just say as a missionary, anyone who travels, you know, one of your worst nightmares is when you're following GPS and it leads you to a dirt and gravel road. <laughs> So you're immediately going, uh-oh, something's wrong, right? Well, I've, I've taken a wrong turn. So yesterday evening, my GPS took me to the dirt and gravel road. And so I'm thinking, first thing, you may have been through this. I don't know if you've been on vacation, ever hit that dirt road. Your first thing I'm thinking, well, I'll just call and make sure I'm in the right place. No service. I'm like, okay. <laughs> my children, years gone by, when that would happen, they'd go, we're dead, Dad. Okay, we're going to die right here. This is where it ends. And uh, but we made our way down the dirt and gravel road. We found the address, and what a beautiful place they have. 
And uh, they were so gracious to let us stay. All of us, all the missionaries stayed there in their, in their home and houses. And then, and then uh, this morning we were, we were ordered. You know, it's a military family, right? Yeah. You folks know them. You know, we were ordered to be there at 7 o'clock for breakfast. So we had, you know, the bugles went off. And we all stood at attention and, <laughs> and uh, had to present ourselves this morning and breakfast at 7 and, and he just kept making pancakes and kept making pancakes and kept making pancakes. So today after the service, part of the meal, we're having pancakes. You know? <laughs> yeah, so we just, but we do appreciate these dear folks and, and letting us uh, stay in their home. That's very gracious. Um, my wife's not with me today. She wanted to come. Uh, and uh, the Lord kind of gave us a mission field during COVID while we were here in the States on home and and in our community, we learned of a, a family that owned a business. They owned a staffing business, and this family is from Puerto Rico. And their three daughters, I think, work for the family. It's a family-owned business. And they had five or six children that, that they were homeschooling. Okay. Uh, but not very well. <laughs> we found out about this, and I, my daughter actually found out about them. So there was two girls. Both of them were... Two of them were eight years of age. There was a six and a seven-year-old, a five-year-old. I don't remember. None of them could read. None of them knew their letters, didn't know their numbers. I mean, it was just terrible. And they would go to work with their parents every day and just play. And we learned to this family. And so uh, uh, someone said, uh, well, my daughter said, my mom used to be a teacher. And uh, she might can help a little bit. And so uh, my wife come out of teaching retirement and, and agreed to try to help some of these children, and so now she's teaching every day, and, and my wife told them, said, well, we're Christians, and if I teach your children, uh, there's a curriculum called a Becca, somebody may know about that, and, and that's what I would use, and it uses the Bible, and we'd have to learn Bible verses, and she just, she said, I just, you know, I didn't need a job, I just told them what we would do, and they said, okay, that sounds fine, that sounds fine. So God just gave us a mission field for my wife. She had six children, and, and uh, they think my wife's a genius. Really? I mean, in six months, she had all of them reading, and they know all their numbers and writing in cursive. You know, they're like, oh, Miss Mullinax. Oh, you know, they think she's just, you know, they think she's great. And uh, so the Lord just gave us a mission field while, while we couldn't get back into China. And so she's doing that every day. She has to be in school in the morning. And then the other real reason, I just told you part of the, the other real reason, we have a new grandbaby. And uh, we have a granddaughter that's uh, three months old, and they're having a dedication service for her this morning. And you know grandma's not going to miss that, right? Yeah. I get to miss it, but, but grandma had to be there. So that's why she's not with me today. And then also, uh, real quick, I want to just commend you on the decorations, the flags, all that. When we drove up, the flags outside, that looks great. Somebody had to do all that work and prepare, and, and uh, I appreciate that. Of course, the Chinese flag is back here. Oftentimes, churches leave out the Chinese flag. I, I don't know why, but you have it there. I saw one out there, and that's great. And you do realize all the other flags were made in China, right? <laughs> Pretty much. So uh, we're covered today. We're, we're good. Acts chapter 18. I'm going to go quickly. I know I'm in a dangerous place. You say, why do you say that? I'm standing between you and lunch. Yeah. That's a dangerous place to be. Acts chapter 18. Of course, anytime you deal with missions, 
you can't help but go to the book of Acts. I mean, there's other places. We find missions throughout all the Bible. But uh, Acts trying to gives us a, gives us a pattern. And uh, I want to look at a pattern today. It's kind of just walk through the scriptures in, in chapter 18 uh, about this thing of missions, a burden for missions. How do we do it? How did Paul do that? What's, what's our pattern what are, these, what are these missionaries going to do? They each got up here during Sunday school. If you weren't here for Sunday school, uh, you missed out. And I encourage you to go by their tables and see them. But uh, they, they each pretty much told the same story about their area, but how they were going to reach people through a local church and reach them with the gospel. Well, they get that pattern. They get that from basically from the Apostle Paul. That's how he did it. And I want to look at that this morning with you in Acts chapter 18. After these things in verse 1, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now, Paul's traveling to Corinth, and we know by history, if you look at Corinth, Corinth was a port city. It was a very important city. It was a trade city, and also there was a lot of different nationalities that are there. And because of that, maybe not the only reason, but uh, we do understand that Corinth was a very wicked city. And even the church that's going to be birthed here later on, that's where we get First and Second Corinthians from. The church had a lot of problems too, right? And Paul's going to address that. But God is sending him to this particular city to start a work. Now, I want us to look this morning how he does that. In verse 2, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now, he meets this couple uh, probably in the marketplace. Paul shows up and he's going through the market area and he finds this couple. And we see in the scriptures here that, that they were tent makers. I'm not going to read all the verses for sake of time, but they were tent makers. So maybe they had a display set up in the market area and they had their tents and they had their uh, tent stakes and their buckles and all, whatever it took to do tents. And Paul's walking through the market area and he sees that. And we, we know why Paul would be drawn to that because Paul was a tent maker, right? He, he did that from time to time to finance his own ministry when he had to do that. So Paul is drawn to them. So he comes to them. He starts a conversation with this couple. Now, this couple is going to be, they're, they're going to be very vital to Paul's ministry. In fact, the church is going to meet in their home, and, and Paul's going to mention them later on and, and say that they even hazard their lives for Paul. So they become very close. Now, what we don't know is that when Paul met them, is it possible that they were already Christians? They had already trusted the Lord, and Paul starts talking to them, and he finds out, well, these are Christians. They're not just tent makers, but they know the Lord, so they, they had a kindred spirit. It's possible. We don't know. It's also possible that they were not believers, that Paul witnessed to them and led them to the Lord. We're not told, but we see this, this meeting and, uh, of these three people now in the marketplace. And then verse 4 Paul, he, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, persuading the Jews and the Greeks. That's what Paul would do. He would find the local synagogue, and on Saturday, on the Sabbath, he would go there and he would reason with them and talk with them with the Scriptures. And he could well do that. He's a Pharisee, right? He had, he had the pedigree. He had the learning, the knowledge that he could speak with them in the synagogue, and they would listen to him. Look at verse 5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come, 
from Macedonia. So now he's brought in a couple of more men to help him in this endeavor because Paul is going to start a church here. Paul's been a witness here. Much like these missionaries, when they go to a new area, when they tell you about a city with millions of people, as our pastor reminded us this morning, you know they, they've got to go and start pretty much from scratch. They may work with some other missionary maybe for a while, but eventually they're going to be on their own. They're going to be somewhere starting from nothing. How do they do that? Well, the same way Paul. They're going, they're going to be out in the streets. They're going to be talking with people. They're going to go to the marketplace and, and they're going to be inviting people. And they're, they're going to start a Bible study. They're going to start in their home or a small place. That's, that's what Paul's doing right here and he's getting some help. And notice what he says, verse 5. Paul was pressed in the Spirit. He was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Amen. That was his message, that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. But I'm interested in that phrase where it says Paul was pressed in the Spirit. Why would he go to that place? Why would he go to Corinth? Why would he go to that market area? Why would he go to the synagogue? Why would he travel all that distance? Why would he put himself through all the things that we know about Paul, all the things that he went through? He did that because he had a burden for his own people. He was burdened in his heart to reach people with the gospel. Can I tell you that's why we're here today? You know, that, that's why I drove here from South Carolina. That's why these missionaries today come and put up the tables and presentations. They didn't do that just to tell you about how great Uganda is, some country, some area. That's okay, but that's not why they're here. They're here because they have a burden in their heart to reach someone with the gospel. And can I tell you as a church, we should share that same burden? It's not just them. We're not just paying a missionary to go do a job. No, we should have that same burden to reach lost souls, wherever it may be. Right here in our community, in that 30-mile radius that the pastor spoke about a moment ago, sure, we should do that too, and in our, in our state, in our country. But we've already heard today from, from three places that very little gospel is being preached, very little. And we've got to have a burden to reach them. If we're going to do anything today about getting the gospel out, it's going to have to start right here in this place, in this building, in the hearts of God's people that you're burdened to reach someone with the gospel. I quote my former pastor quite often. I sat under his ministry all my life. My pastor was Dr. Harold Seitler. He made this statement. I heard it not live. I heard it on recording, and it, it caught me by surprise. He made a statement in our church one Sunday evening. He said, I'd rather have a man with a burden than a man with a calling. Yeah. And, Pastor, I, I, stopped the, I stopped the recording. I thought, wait a minute, did I hear him say that right? Now, I know God calls men and women to do particular jobs. I understand that. But he said, I would rather have someone with a burden than I would with a calling. And then he went on to say, he said, I'm looking at a large congregation tonight. He said, and I know by some of your testimonies, you've told me that God has called you to do a particular work, but yet here you sit. You're not doing it. He said, but if God ever burdens your heart, 
You won't be sitting on the pew. You'll get busy doing what God's called you to do. And I say amen to that. We need people with a burden. And can I just tell you this? God's not going to burden your heart or he's not going to call you or try to convince you to do something that you don't have the power to do. I hear that all the time. I say, well, I, I can't do this. I'm not qualified to do this. God made a mistake. No, 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 no. If he burdens your heart, the Spirit of God will empower you to do whatever God calls you to do. You're not going to do it in your own ability anyway. Oh, he'll use your talents. Sure he does. We all have different talents, and, and we're to use those for the glory of God. But he's not going to burden your heart or give you something to do that you physically can't do. And can I say this as a side note? Don't try to do something that you can't do. Yeah. Right? You say, what do you mean? Well, I, I led music at our church for many years. I was the music director. We had a voluntary choir. I don't know if you do or not. That just means you didn't have to audition to be in our choir. You just show up at practice, and hopefully they would show up for practice, and, and you could sing in the choir. Just make a joyful noise, right? I had one dear lady in our choir. Her husband was one of our deacons, and they were faithful members of our church. And uh, she was faithful to the choir, but she couldn't sing worth a lick. <laughs> it was bad. You know those people who are truly tone deaf? They don't know it. And sometimes they're the loudest one. That was her. She sat right over here in the alto section. She didn't know alto from also. She didn't. She, it didn't matter. I could have put her in the bases. It didn't matter. It was horrible. I didn't know what to do. I'd never really gone through that before, and I couldn't tell her she couldn't sing in the choir. She was faithful. And uh, so I just started praying, right? Lord, Lord, give her a burden for a children's church. <laughs> I think she would do great in the nursery, Lord. She's, she's a kind lady. and Would you just burden her heart for those little ones and she could help them every service? And uh, you say, did you really pray like that? Because listen, I'd go back and listen to the recording the next day and I would think, you know, we got some pretty good sound people and they can twist knobs and do stuff and they can make it sound better. No, no, no. It's horrible. Every service. That's all I could hear was her. Now I remember getting up one Sunday morning and I started the service with the choir singing. We had probably, I don't know, 75 or 80 people in the choir. She could sing louder than all the rest. But that day, she was not in the choir. She was not there. I picked up on it immediately because the choir sounded great. The best we had sound, I mean, it's just wonderful. I don't want to just keep on singing. Just keep singing, choir. Keep singing. Sounds great. And I remember I turned around to greet the congregation and have them to stand for their congregational song, and I saw her. She was sitting on the balcony all the way near the back, and I saw her. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe she doesn't feel well today. I hope she gets better in a few months. <laughs> the choir sounded so good today. And uh, so she sat back there for probably three or four weeks until, until our pastor came to the pulpit and preached that famous message. You say, what famous message? Oh, you know it. Your pastor's preached it many times. I know. It's a real famous message. It goes like this. Now, some of you used to be faithful, but you're not faithful any longer. You've heard that message, right? 
Some of you used to go out on visitation, and now you don't go on visitation anymore. And I'm over there going, amen. Some of you used to go to Sunday school faithful, but you're not in Sunday school anymore. And I'm sitting there going, amen. Get them, Pastor. Get them. And then he said it. And some of you used to sing in the choir. Now you're out here in the congregation. I'm over there going, no, 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 Pastor. No, no, no. Sure enough, next Sunday, there she is, right back in her place. I took my pastor to lunch. I promise you. I took him to lunch the next day. He knew what was going on. He heard her too. I took him to lunch. I said, Pastor, listen. I prayed her out, and you preached her right back in. <laughs> We're supposed to be a team. We're supposed to be working together here. What? She told me one time, seriously. She used this words. God burdened my heart to sing in the choir. And I'm thinking, God does not make mistakes. <laughs> so that's a silly story, but, but can I tell you? God will burden your heart to do a work. He's told some of you something he wants you to do. I don't know. And maybe some of you are just sitting on the pew. We all can't be the missionaries. We all can't go to some foreign country. I understand that. Do you know what's just as important to how people with a burden for lost souls sitting right here on these pews? Every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, faithful, giving, praying. Because if you weren't doing that, there wouldn't be any flags and there wouldn't be a mission Sunday today. Paul was burdened for his people. Real quick, I, I'm not going to go quick. Look at verse 6. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, hmm, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean, and from henceforth I go unto the Gentiles. If you don't have that marked in your Bible, you should put a big asterisk right there. That's a real good verse because that's how we got the gospel. They rejected Paul's message in the synagogue. And Paul said, okay, all right, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to the streets. But they, do you notice what they did? They blasphemed. Can I tell you today, if, if you get a burden about reaching somebody or reaching some group of people with the gospel, that there are going to be some people that's going to oppose what you do. There's going to be opposition. That just goes with it. So, well, Brother Robert, that, that don't sound real good. I mean, this, the Christian life's supposed to be all happy and joyful. And, well, it's not all happy, right? I mean, we have trials and things we all go through, but there are people who will oppose the gospel. They will oppose what you do. They will oppose you. I mean, you may have family members when you got saved. So are you really going to go to church every Sunday? What are you going and wasting your time going there? And I bet you anything, you probably give them your money too. There's probably some of you heard that. Sometimes the opposition comes from close within. It can be family. It can be friends that would oppose what you do for the Lord. Obvious answer to this, but would you think that that these missionaries that gave their presentations this morning, would you think that there was some opposition to them? I don't know any of them personally. I met each, all three of these families. I met them last night, and we had breakfast together this morning. That's it. 
So I don't know anything about them personally. But, but I, can, I can just about guess. I picked up the car, the, the Whippler family. He, he told this morning that, that he was uh, IT. How many of you think that if you, you knew what you were doing as an IT technician and you worked with computers and software and all this kind of stuff, how many of you think you probably could make pretty good money doing that right now? You think that's kind of high demand? Sure, I do. Not only, especially in the secular world, but now even inside our churches. We're all live streaming and we're YouTubing and we're Facebooking and we're, we got Twitter and we got all, all this technology. Well, I know what all the words are, but I don't know how to do it. Somebody has to do that, right? You think that's kind of important? You think that's probably high-value person? I think so. Do you think he got any opposition when he told his church I'm sorry, I can't, I can't take care of all the IT stuff anymore. They might have been someone even in his church going, man, that's a waste. Why in the world? I don't know. You get opposition. How about Mexico? You know, Tim and Brittany, they, they're going to a place that we go, oh, man, we hear about Mexico in the news every day, right? And all those illegal aliens and coming into here and at the border. And man, every time I turn on the TV, I see all those cartels and, and all the violence. And we heard a little bit about it in Sunday school. Why in the world would a man, a young man, take his wife and a two-month-old? No, they've got old yours. Yours eight, yours is older. Year old. Why would I take a one-year-old to that kind of place? You think anybody said that? I don't know them, but I bet you somebody said that. Said, what a waste. Why would you do that? They've probably got opposition. I don't know. How about the Gardner family? Uganda? How many of you think, I mean, you've seen this, you saw him give the presentation, his wife, and they're the ones that have the three-month-old. How many of you think that they will stick out in Uganda? <laughs> They don't have to tell anybody that they're foreigners. <laughs> they're going to stick out. They don't look like them. They don't act like them. They don't talk like them. He said that a lot of them speak English, right? It don't sound like your English. How many people, do you, do you think that there was anyone in their family? And I'm not putting this against family. I just know people. You think there was any of their friends said, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? You're going to take your new baby and your wife, you're going to go over there? They got diseases we never heard of. They don't even have bathrooms in most of the places. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Why in the world would you do that? Opposition to the gospel. You know why? Because God has burdened their hearts to reach those people. And he should do the same for us to help them get there. So Paul was burdened. Paul had them to blaspheme against them, but here's a real good one in verse 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, notice this next word, believed on the Lord with all his house and many of the Corinthians here in, what's the next word? Believed. 
You know what's going to happen? If you get a burden to reach God's people, a burden to reach lost people, and you overcome the opposition, you don't let that stop you, even though they may blaspheme against you and blaspheme against our God. You know what? You share the gospel. There are going to be those who will believe. That's why we do what we do. Believers. I, I think I'm in a house today full of believers. I would hope so. Someone shared the gospel with you. There will be those that will believe. That's why we do this, folks. And here's what's interesting about that. Did you see the name? It said Crispus. The Bible's specific. Crispus. You see who he was. He's the chief ruler of the synagogue. What synagogue? The synagogue in downtown Corinth. The synagogue that Paul has been going to every Sabbath and reasoning with them. The synagogue that just threw him out and blasphemed against him and against God. And Paul just shook the dust off of his feet. I'm not going to worry about you anymore. I'm going to the Corinthians out here in the street. And guess who believed? The most unlikely one believed. The chief ruler of the synagogue, the very one in charge of having him thrown out. He's the first one we're told that believed. Can I tell you, you can't share the gospel with the wrong person? Can I tell you, even the ones you think would never get saved? I don't know. I'm just on a guess. I may be preaching today to an unlikely one. There may be someone among our midst today, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if someone said you would be in church today, they'd have looked at you like you were crazy. Not me. But yet here you are. <laughs> That's why we preach the gospel, because there will be those who will believe. And, look at verse 8, and we're baptized. Paul just walking it down for us right in the scriptures. He's burdened for those that are lost. They were those that blasphemed. He didn't worry about them because they were some that believed. And then those that believed, he got to baptize some of them. Right. You know, that means a lot more in some foreign countries than it does here in the U.S. In the United States, we have baptizing. It's great. Grandma comes, grandpa comes, aunt and uncles, mom and dad, and they put them under, and we're taking pictures, and we clap, and it's a great day, right? That's wonderful. It's not like that in many foreign countries. They may believe, but once they're baptized, it associates them with that local church. And many times their family will disown them. They may lose their job. But here we see right here in the scripture, they believed and then they were baptized. A couple more and I'm done real quick. Look at verse 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul, to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, Paul. He's, he's talking about, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, boldness. God gave Paul a boldness to preach the gospel. That's not just needed for the missionary. That's needed for each one of us today. My, my message is not necessarily for these three missionary families. It's for us. We need that same boldness to proclaim the gospel. Now, boldness does not mean foolishness. Say, so what do you mean by that? Oh, I've been told before, oh, Brother Robert, you just need to be bold in China. I'm like, okay, you want to be bold? Let's be bold. Let's go rent a truck and let's load it down with tracks and we'll go to Tiananmen Square in the middle of Beijing, China, and we'll start get a megaphone and we'll start preaching and handing out tracks. 
and that would last about three minutes until the black vehicle would drive up and they'd put hoods over our heads and throw us in the back of a van and we'd be gone, right? You'd say, I remember Robbie. He used to come to our church. They'd never hear from me again. No, you can be bold, but you also can be smart about it. Paul was bold, right? Would we say that Paul was a bold missionary and boldly proclaimed the gospel? Sure. But also read where they had to sneak Paul out of the city and put him in a basket and put him over the side of the wall and sneak him out in the middle of the night because going down that rope and in that basket was some 13 chapters of our Bible. All right? They had to sneak him out. So he knew when to be smart. But we as Christians need a boldness to proclaim the gospel? Sure we do. I don't know about you. I'll be honest for a moment, okay? We say you're supposed to be honest all the time. I'm going to be real honest. You ever been to Walmart and you go through the checkout line where there's actually a real person? I know that's not often, but when there's a real person there and God speaks to your heart and you say, He'll tell you inside. You need, you need to give that 16, 17, 18-year-old girl a gospel track. And you hesitate. It's like a moment of fear comes across you. You don't have to shake your head yes, but you know what I'm talking about? You ever felt that before? Just a tinge of, you know, I don't know what we are afraid of. I'm using we. I don't know what it is. Are we afraid that they'll laugh at us? Are they afraid that they'll reject us? I'm standing there looking at a 16-year-old girl who's going beep, 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 and I'm afraid to hand her a gospel tract. Ever been there? Yeah. I try to overcome that. I said, let me, let me share something good with you today. I know it's been a tough day, hard day. Here's some good news. We as a church need a boldness to share the gospel. Look at verse 10. God's still talking to Paul. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. That meant a lot to Paul because he went through some hurt. But not right here, Paul. Nobody's going to hurt you here. Look what he says. For I have much people in this city. Amen. I wrote in my Bible, I wrote the word blessings. Paul, look around you. There's a lot of people here. We've heard today and this morning, we heard about how many millions of people are in Uganda. Squash them all into one little area and they're stacked up on top of each other, right? We saw how many millions of people are in Mexico City, one of the largest cities in the world. We heard about, about all those religious people in Finland, right? Thousands and thousands. And by his testimony today, he stood here in the pulpit and said... As far as I know, there's not one other independent Baptist missionary in all of Finland. So would you think and say in those three areas that we just mentioned that there's a lot of people there? There's much people here? Over 1.4 billion are represented by that place. Areas of population that ex exceed the whole United States population. Think about that. Without a single gospel witness. Cities of 12, 15, 20 million people. 
And God looks at Paul and says, look at, look at all those people, Paul. I have much people here. I want you to start a church. There's going to be people get saved, Paul. There's a lot of people here. Preach to them, Paul. And he continued there a year and six months. Notice what he did. He's there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. I wrote my Bible, building up. I had to have another B, right? A building up. He's building them up in the faith. A year and a half, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special services. I don't know. The same thing your pastor does every week, week in and week out in this pulpit, coming here, preaching the word of God and building you up in the faith. Why does he do that? He doesn't do that just so when he says, turn to the book of Malachi. Everybody's like, well, I got there first. I know where it's at. Right there, right there. Well, that's good you know where it's at. Or he starts a verse and in your mind you finish the verse. I memorized that verse. I already know it. That's good. That's good. But he's here every service building you up in the faith so when you walk out those doors, you can share the gospel. how it should be. Say, so what's the point? The point is it's just not these three families. You as a church today have an opportunity to share in their ministries. You get to go to Uganda. You get to go to Finland. You get to go to, to Mexico through these missionaries. By praying for them, by giving, you get to be a part of that. So they can go and build those people up in faith. And you know what's so great about that? Those souls that are saved will be credited to your account. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? I don't have to go, but I still get credit. <laughs> That's a good, I mean, Lord just planned that. I don't have to, I can't go to Finland, but I can get some credit. I'd want to be part of that. And I'm glad you want to be a part of it. Let's stand together. Your heads are bowed. Your pastor's coming. He'll give the invitation today. He knows his people. Lord, I ask you today, God, that you would please once again burden our hearts to reach the lost. Or we can tell story after story about all the countries around the world. But Lord, we have lost people right around us. In our neighborhoods, we, Lord, we have lost people in our families. Would you help us to have the burden to be a witness even to them? And as we reach them, as we try to reach them and witness to them, would you also burden our hearts to, to reach around the world? And I know this church does, Lord, and I pray that you would increase their outreach, increase their faith, increase their giving, that they can reach more with the gospel. And what you do for us, we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Boy, he started off, and he talked about the fact that Paul was burdened for his people. Paul was burdened. Paul, Paul had been without Christ. Paul had been a Pharisee. 
And now Paul had accepted Christ and he was carrying the gospel. And Paul looked at those that were, that were still where he used to be. And Paul was burdened for his people. And that burden drove Paul to continue to do everything he could to get the gospel. And I thought about, you know, Lord, burden us. Burden us. Burden us for our family members that still don't know you. Burden us for the, our neighbors in our community that still doesn't know you. Burden us for the people around the world, uh, Lord, that do not know you. Burden our hearts. And I believe, I believe he said it well when he said that he'd rather see someone with a burden than someone with a calling. There is something about a burden that will drive us to action. Something about a burden that will just cause us to respond to what God has called us to do. And so as Miss Debbie plays, uh, if you want to come, come to the altar and say, Lord, burden my heart. Give me a burden to take the gospel to the lost around the world. Man, it's been good to be in the Lord's house thus far today. I'm telling you what, I have enjoyed it. I've been blessed. Been blessed by the presentations from our missionary brothers this morning, blessed by the singing, blessed by the message from Brother Mullinex. I'm telling you what, the Lord has been good to us. I'm looking forward to going downstairs and enjoying a meal together. Everyone is invited. You say, Well, Pastor John, I didn't I didn't bring anything. That's all right. There is plenty of food. Everyone is invited to come down, stick with us, enjoy a meal together, get an opportunity to fellowship together with one another. And then we'll we'll watch the clock and we'll come back up here probably around a quarter after, maybe one. We'll see. It depends on how long it takes y'all to eat. Uh, but we'll take a little time, then we'll come back up after the meal, and uh, we'll announce it downstairs when we're getting ready to come up. And we'll come back up, and we'll have a time of question and answer, and we'll just uh, see how long that goes. And we'll try to keep it at about an hour. We'll try not to go longer than that, uh, where we can just ask some questions and get to know these missionaries and well, the field that God has called them to and help us get more of an insight.
outside look into what they face and uh, how they, what it means to them as far as a person uh, to be a missionary and see what we can learn that the Lord might use to burden our hearts to partner with them that they might carry the gospel around the world. When we took up the offering uh, earlier, I failed to mention uh, that you could give uh, towards the missionaries in that offering, and I apologize for not mentioning that. If you were hoping to be able to give something towards these missionaries, uh, do get that to either uh, Miss Delilah or Brother Dave. And y'all raise your hands. Most everybody knows you, but Brother, Brother Dave and Miss Delilah, if you would get that to them uh, during the meal, uh, we'll make sure and get that in the offering uh, so that you can be a blessing to these missionaries. At this time, I'm going to ask Brother Mike Shaw, if he would, to pray, ask the Lord's blessing on the meal. And then after he prays, uh, missionary families, I'm going to ask y'all to go first, Brother Robbie, go through the doors to your right, down the steps, and just follow your nose, all right? And you'll find your way to the food. And if uh, if you need to go get your children or whatever, we understand. But we'll give y'all a couple minutes to go, then the rest of us will dismiss. Brother Mike, you pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the food. Amen. Amen. All right, missionaries, y'all make your way out, and then after they're gone, you can follow. 